coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. I'm watching that Skagit head, you know, because our rivers are fairly shallow and it, you, you might see it tick bottom. You might see that the chase of the fly, you see that little bit of bow coming and you can just tell when you need to slow it down or when you speed it up. And then what I watch is that nice little swing coming through the run. I'm always counting the swing. How long does it take to get from bank to bank? And there's a specific time, if it's a 11, 17 seconds, whatever that swing is, that'll be the water that the fish are in for the day. That was Jeff Liske sharing a great tip on finding the right depth for the swing. We are taking a deep dive on swinging for steelhead, plus the Great Lakes Steelhead School today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the show. We have launched a big giveaway that's going on right now, the Steelhead School. This is uh, partly what we're going to be digging into today. Uh, Jeff is going to dig into a bunch of tips and tricks on steelhead fishing, spay, and everything else. And we're also going to be talking a little bit about this school that we're putting together. You can head over to wetflyswing.com giveaway, and you can enter to win this right now. If you are also interested, we're going to be Uh, We're going to have about six slots that are going to be open if you want to actually get a slot right up front. So if you're interested in fishing with Jeff Liske and me up in the the Steelhead Alley, this is the one for you. And you can check into this right now. So you can send me a message, Dave, at wetflyswing.com and just put Steelhead School in the subject line. And we can get you hooked into that that trip and, and we can go from there. Today's episode is sponsored by Angler's Coffee, roasting a full range of coffee with one goal in mind, delivering excellent coffee to every single angler. They've got a blend for every taste, a dry dropper on the go, teabag option, the roast sampler, and uh, and everything else. You've heard it before, Joe is definitely going strong. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash anglers right now. That's A-N-G-L-E-R-S to support a sustainable company with unsurpassed taste. We are also sponsored today by Lake Lady Rods, building distinctive custom rods, each created one at a time to the exact specifications for each angler. You can uh, go to wetflyswing.com slash lakelady right now. That's L-A-K-E-L-A-D-Y to support this podcast and Chris and Lake Lady. Jeff Liske is back on the show to break down steelhead and spay fishing with a focus on the steelhead alley area of the Great Lakes. We find out which spay line he loves and which tips you'll need when to use a Skagit uh, versus a Scandi line, and which rivers we'll be heading to uh, later this fall, early winter, late fall, early winter. You know Jeff is going to bring his uh, his good stuff today, so without further ado, here we go. Jeff Liskay from GreatLakesFlyFishing.com. How's it going, Jeff? Man, it's really good on my end. How about you? Good, good. Yeah, great to have you on here. We've been uh, we've been working behind the scenes a little bit, setting up this uh, what we're calling the the Great Lake Steelhead School, which is going to be a pretty cool event we have going. And and you were on this podcast back in uh, episode two hundred fifty five, which to me it seems like an eternity ago. It wasn't even a year ago. How how long does it seem like it was? That was a long time ago. I think the summer has just flown by, but you know it's getting to be about that time. I'm starting to think about you know the migratory trout steelhead game. So it's it's cool to revisit. You know. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. So, so we're gonna dig into a little bit on this uh, this trip we have coming. We're gonna be heading out there in December, early December. We're gonna be chasing steelhead, 
And today I want to dig into a little bit on focus on this trip a little bit and just give some tips and tricks on steelhead fishing, spay, sink tip lines, um, and kind of cover all that. Does that, does that sound pretty good? Sounds great to me, man. Super excited for you to come out and see my home waters. It's going to be super fun time. Yep. Yeah, I know. That's that's the other benefit we talked when we were first talking about this. We were like, okay, this is going to be good. Even if even if we don't nail that, you know what I mean? Even if it doesn't come out exactly like we like, we're going to at the minimum fish together, which is going to be awesome. I think that was the bullet point number one, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, fishing, fishing together. So we're going to get that going. But um, well, let, let's take it back. Uh, you know, in 255, we talked about, um, you know, switch rods was the title. Switch rods for Great Lakes Steelhead. And, and you know, we're, what we're going to be doing here is going to be sink lines, right? Like Skagit style, shorter stuff for the most part. Um, let's talk about for maybe your perspective on this school, because you're going to be leading some of the educational piece. How do you typically do this when you go into, you know, we're calling this a school, but I know uh, with April, you did a, her program, which is... Um, um, masterclass, right? You, with, yeah. with April Vokey. And, uh, so we'll put a link out to that as well. And you're doing some of the school stuff, but when you go into these, what is the school? What does that tell, what would that be when somebody, what are they going to be getting at this event? You know, this is a, you know, A to Z spay. So, you know, an angler that is highly skilled at spay fishing or swung fly, he's still going to get a lot of great tips. And then if you start at the very bottom rung and you just want to get into it, we're going to start at the very A. So we can start anywhere from A to Z. But what's really cool about it is the platform, because you're coming to the Great Lakes, we have an opportunity. We have a lot. We have quite a few migratory trouts. So we're going to have lots of shots at these swung, you know, using a swung fly. We're going to get a lot of shots of, you know, how to present the fly. But, you know, from the casting part, if you got any casting dialing in, we're going to do. But, you know, also there's going to be, we're going to do like fly tying at night. And then, mm-hmm. My goal is that when you start a school is that I don't expect a student to get it all within the school. My goal is to make you your own mechanic. So when you go back to your home waters, that you understand the faults of your cast. Oh, that's what Dave and Jeff taught me, man. I got to like mend the line or I keep my rod high. So you can use this as a building platform for your home waters and where you fish. It could be trout fishing, you know, on the Missouri, who knows, but this is the object of a school or a good casting class is to make them their own mechanic. And that's the whole bottom line. Plus have a whole bunch of fun time learning from each other campfire. But that's my goal is to really, you know, educate and take home a lot of good info. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. So, so whether you're a beginner or even upper level, you can come to this school and you're going to learn something. That's that's the point. And we're going to, not only you, right, we're going to have some other guides that are going to be helping out along the way. We're going to have the best of the best in the area, from fly tires to casters to guides with uh, all the best water. So you can't, it's a win-win, really, right? Yeah, 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 totally. No, it is. And I, and I see, and again, the casting, you've said a few things, right? The casting is definitely a big struggle for people. Um, the reading the water, getting, you know, choosing the right line, getting the fly, presenting the fly, like, you know, figuring out what the fly is doing, that you're not just swinging it, mindlessly swinging the fly. I mean, those are all big things I hear a lot about from listeners. They're like, oh yeah, this is, you know, dig into this. So let's start off with the, um, you know, I mean, we can start off a number of different places here, but I, I love the analogy between the mechanic because we're going to take back what we learn here. We're going to be able to apply it to our own waters. Um, but let's just start with on 255. We talked about gear. We, we talked about, so let's just for somebody who ha- didn't listen to that, what's the gear? What, if, if somebody's going to bring their spay, what should they be bringing on this trip? 
You know, if you have any switch rod that's about 10 foot, 10 and a half foot, all the way up to a 12 footer, that would be fine. Um, there will be times that we do have a couple larger rivers that you could bring a full two-hander, say a 12 and a half foot seven weight would be cool. But our focus most of the time is going to be that 11 and a half, 11 foot rod, five weight to seven weight switch rod. Um, my favorite is right, if you have a rod that's right around 330 grains, um, because when the water's cold and we, and we don't have these runoff rivers that run into the south shores of Lake Erie, they don't have the heart and soul like, say, the Deschutes or any of the years. So there's, mm -hmm. it's, all, it's all fish. So I like to scale the rod down to a little more reasonable so you have a little more fun fighting them. But, you know, you don't want to overplay them. So that, that five, six, seven weight's a really good rod for casting. You know, our distance casting is a 75-foot cast is a long cast. A lot, of, a lot of times it's within, you know, maybe five, six poles off the running line. Mm -hmm. um, but the key, too, is just nice compact cast and control in the line. And what's interesting with the school, Dave, is I think the cultivation between your knowledge of the West Coast and the knowledge that you have from, like, wet flies and dry flies and this school here, the cultivation of the both together I don't think has ever been done. They've been done separately. But I don't think uh, any student or anybody who gets involved with this, you know, this whole thing, they're going to get two, two bonus courses all rolled into one. Yeah. Because you can add that, you could add that whole other dimension to, you know, your view of Skagit on the West Coast and where we're going to be fishing on these runoff rivers, they're going to be a more of a technical swing um, where it's like a short choppy swing where you got to like, you know, do a short tail first and then pull up and just just walked a dog through it where you're not right. going to be, you know, compared to where you used to bombing it out the nice boulder run, big, long glide. So it'll be pretty cool to watch that adjustment for everybody. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. So this is going to be so technical and so smaller compact stuff. So smaller rods and then, and then let, let's go through the lines a little bit on that. So on the lines, what would be if somebody was going to pick up a line, talk about like for this, again, for this trip, we're going there and we're talking about like early December, right? For this trip. What can what are the conditions look like, and what line should we be, uh, bring on this? You know, I, it could be almost from one end of the spectrum to the other. It could be fifty-five degrees during the day to say mid thirties. But generally speaking, you're going to get into the low thirties, maybe the mid thirties at night, and then warming up into the forties during the day. And then, depending on the water temperature, because the water temperatures are going to be a little cooler, and that's what's so cool about our Great Lakes fish are that they will come to the fly under colder water conditions than a West Coast steelhead will because they're, because they're more adapt to that cooler water. Um, are they going to rip the rod out of your hand? No, you're just going to have to let them chew the bubble gum a little bit before hmm. you pull tight. Yep. But so we'll have two lines, regardless of what grain weight, but let's just say we just use a, a moderate base of say 400 grain. We'll use a 400 grain Skagit line. We're going to be using sink tips, but now if we get into a little bit of cold snap, we're going to use full intermediate skagits and we're going to lighten up the tips a little bit just to get that down and dirty just to crawl that thing along just to make sure we slow that presentation down a little bit so the cool thing will be is i'll have all the lines so you don't have to worry about bringing a specialty line i have all the lines for everybody to use and if we get into a situation where like hey we might want to try an intermediate skagit just to slow that presentation down you know, it's like sort of like King Sand, you know, just like swinging for kings. Yeah. We use that intermediate. This is just scaling it down a little bit, right? Gotcha. 
So basically when you need to, you might need to really get down, get down deep quickly. And then on the fly, you're going to have a tip that's going to be kind of not necessarily on the bottom, but more in the zone. Right. So what I found out is that you can only push these switch rods to their limit. So as much as we want to say, hey, we need a chunk of T14, eight foot long, they don't like that. So what I found is just these nice light tip with the intermediate line. Now we can make the cast easier. It's not like logging chain. The rod turns it over, but we yeah. still we still get right down in the wheelhouse of the fish's zone, man. Oh, wow. That's cool. So, so if somebody's coming along on this trip, you're literally going to have all the, the lines, the gear. That's like If they didn't have any of the right gear, you're going to be able to cover us. We're probably going to have 400 spay lines that I bring, plus probably 15, 16 rods. Really? So, all right. Yeah. All right. So this is, this is good. So we're <laughs> yeah. covered. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I did see on, I think on Instagram, I did see a post you had. I think it was one of your, your line satchels, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, this is awesome. All right. So, so we'll have a cover. So, and if somebody's listening now and they don't make the trip, um, could we talk about like, if they're going to go and just grab the line, say they're kind of new to this, like what would the line, is there a, like, um, you know, a brand, a type of line that they could just say, what would it be? Or just grab any Skagit. What's that look like? Um, I really do prefer the shorter versions of the, you know, the Skagit. So I'm, of course, I'm with S Scientific Anglers. So of course I'm going to, you know, pull the trigger on the Spay Light Skagits, mm -hmm. um, which is a super, super great line. Um, and I really like the inner, the, the one that's in integrated running line with it. Yeah. Um, I like that a lot because you can fish short. Um, you're not fighting the loop to loop because our rivers are fairly small. But then when we get to the larger rivers or we're going to try to like loop on those intermediate heads, then I will just use that SA, you know, spade light Skagit heads. Um, gotcha. Could we use a short Scandi, you know, a spade light Scandi? Absolutely. But that's going to be a little bit prior to our trip. Like that's okay. going to be our October, November fishery. But I've did very well with just a 10 foot seven weight with a sinking lead or two. So. Oh, right. Yep. So don't be, you know, this is going to cover single hand spay all the way up to bombing it out there with a full two hander. So we'll oh, have lots. Awesome. Yep. This is cool. Yeah. So we're going to cover everything from, from single to double to, uh, to a little on the lighter side to heavier side. And what does it look like when, you know, you talk about, so October versus say when we're talking about going, how does that run? Look, describe a little bit about the steelhead run. How, how does it work? And why would we, why do we like early December? Well, you know, Mother Nature dictates everything because where we're going to be going is the south shores of Erie and their runoff rivers. It's not like Michigan where they have ground fed rivers. The flow is pretty consistent um, in that south shores of Erie. We need a, a few good you know, amounts of precipitation to get these rivers up to normal flows. We need a little bit of snow. And then when they start doing their yo-yo up and down their flows, these fish make these little pushes in. So they generally start on the East End, PA, Ohio border. They generally start sometime, I would say, the end of September. They start poking their nose around. And then by mid-October, they're starting to push up the Eastern Rivers. You, and then there's an interesting thing about our runs is that they make this initial push. And then there's a little dead zone. And then this dead zone goes up to about Thanksgiving. And then from Thanksgiving to the first week of December, then we get our winter fish. We get another push of fish in. So not only will we have the chance for these early fish that'll be way upstream and they will be a little more static, a little more stale, but we still can get away from the crowds. But the cool thing is we're going to have the advantage of seeing some bright fish coming in a lower river too. Hmm. So we have these double-edged swords of both runs coming in 
then eventually Mother Nature sometime around Christmas starts to get a little harsh and we, we could actually get some slush and then these rivers could freeze. But the last couple of years has been pretty wide open on and off. So by, if somebody said, when would you want to come to, to, for the biggest and the best swung fly? It's always been the first week of December for me. There you go. And similarly, when, you know, you talk, some people that haven't been out to the Midwest, you know, they always think of the, similarly, when we did Alaska, we were talking about Alaska, what, like, what are the bad things about Alaska? Like bugs and bears, right? Everybody's like worried, like, oh my God, I'm getting eaten alive by bugs. But when you talk to them, you know, we do we this episode and really the bugs and bears aren't that bad, right? A lot of people blow it out of proportion if you haven't been there. Is it the same thing within the Midwest where you think like, oh my God, December, isn't it going to be like freezing? Aren't we going to die because we're going to freeze out there? <laughs> what do you well, say to that? <laughs> well, you know, it all, I guess, and I do experience the same thing when I go West, I'm so used to, you know, that 58 degree moderate mean temperature and I'm out there. It's like, wow, this is like summer. So being a Northern boy, I, I probably are like more accustomed to it, but you know, if you're, if you're willing to like what we call just for steelhead fishing, you know, you're going to, you're going to wear your beanie hat. You're going to wear your puff jackets with a shell and you get all bundled up. Are you going to fight maybe occasional slush in the morning um, on your guides? Maybe a little bit. You might you might have that. But the cool thing about this is that you always need a catalyst for the for these fish to fire. So when you have these cooler nights and you might get a little slush on the river, but sometimes not. But when that water temperature bumps up around 10, 11 a.m., that's the catalyst that these fish start to get really grabby. Yeah. So that warming trend and then that bite just continues right on through the day. So you have low light at that time of the year. You don't have to worry about sunny days. All right. You know, so it's more of like, you're just going to have to slow the fly down. That's my concern is being able to get this fly slowed down. And also too, the waters are a little more stable because if we get a little snowpack here and there, the groundwater filters through the snow and the water stays super high and clear. Where early season on a runoff river, they flush out, they get dirtier, and you got a lot of leaf hatch. So the reason why I like December is, is because mid-November, you have to deal with the leaf hatch. And you can only imagine when you've got a swung fly cutting across a bunch of floating leaves, you can't get the job done. So once those leaves leave and the water goes from a tanneky acid, it gets this nice emerald green and it's on like Donkey Kong. Wow. That's sweet. Yeah, I love that. So basically, yeah, you're picking. So this December time frame, early December, for a number of reasons, is a good time. It's overlapping with multiple parts of the run. It's also less of the leaf litter, so your fly is not snagging up every cast. And it's clearer. I mean, and then so you might have temperatures might be a little cooler. But really, again, I always think, I mean, we have summer steelhead, but we also have winter steelhead on the West Coast. And I mean, I've been out there plenty of mornings with snow on the ground and, you know, and it's cold here too. So, but I'm, I'm going to be really interested to compare like that, what we've done here versus what you have there, because it sounds like maybe it's a little bit different. Maybe your fish are a little more active in the winter. I don't know if that, that sounds like that might be the truth. Oh, absolutely. So I, I remember vividly October 11th sitting on the Kispiox with slush floating down and like wasn't able to fish all day and watching the snow work their way down the mountains and couldn't even get those fish to grab. Here, by here, no problem. Are you going to get six, eight grabs a day? No, but you're going to get, you know, at least one to one to three shots every day. That's awesome. So you mentioned uh, slowing down the fly. That's a big, sounds like a big piece here. How, 
you know, there's different ways to do it. So describe. So we're out there in the run. We got all the gear. We're, we're in there. We're, we're maybe you're guiding us that day. We're out on the river. What are you telling me to slow that fly down, say, if, if it's going a little too fast? I think the number one thing is understanding that after you make the cast, anglers have a real bad tendency immediately drop the rod. So as soon as they drop the rod, when the fly hits the water and that line hits the water, you're engaged. Like if I was fishing with you in the summer runs, I want to engage the fly here, high rod. Then you want to feed that. You want to feed the sink tip down, get that fly down. So you're in control. Now we're at fishing depth. And then if you continually keep your rod to the inward side of the middle of the river, you're going to slow that fly down. Rather than if you have your rod towards the bank, you're more steering it, adding speed and chase to the fly. So it's going to be a a winter swung fly, tail first, and then you try to just put, what you do is you pick up the back of the Skagit head and you throw a little teeny men to the back of the head, not, not the men, just a rudder. And that'll start putting a little bit of broadside mm. to that fly, but also keep keep it slow. Was that little mini men, was that towards the bank or, or towards the middle of the river? It's always usually just, so if you towards the bank and you just pick up the back 18 inches of the head and you reposition it and then you, then you tank the running line, that will keep the fly just enough tail first slow, but it makes it broadside. So when they grab, it's not that, it's just not that traditional pluck on the back grab and then you lose it because it's coming in tail first. That's the hardest part is those winter fishes coming in on the back end of that fly hanging straight and not broadside like a summer run or normal yeah. you know, water temperature. So we'll really concentrate on rod to the inside, really letting the, the head fish the fly more than the angler. You know, it's a total opposite of the summer run. Yeah. Wow. And, and when you, so where are you placing that typically that what's that cast? Like how far were you casting it out on the run? So there's two analogies. So you can bomb it a 90 degree across and you start jacking around with men's. I'm not that guy. I'm the guy that likes to put on and muscle a tip. So I want to get that thing down there you know, at 45. I want to make my hot rod high, maybe one mend. And when I make the mend, it's one good mend to get that sink the end of the sink tip where it joins the Skagit head, get that thing pointing right upstream, peril the river, feed it right down in there and start fishing right away. Hmm. So it's not, you know, people, people make that mend and they make this trout mend. They're only mended that middle of the Skagit line. That's not doing us any good. Yeah. You know, for winter steelhead, what we're doing, we got to like get everything up, get it down, picking it up and just soaking it, marinate it right in there as far away as we can. Gotcha. And then once it's down, so when it's on, when it's kind of swinging down after that 45, are you still holding the rod up higher? How's that look? So I feed it down and I'm a big fan of the way, you know, Ed Ward fishes is that we leave the rod up off the water. It's so many people drop that wad. They put the rod down by their, down by their waist and I'm cool. I'm swinging. I like to keep the, I like to keep the rod up off the water. And basically if I can keep the head about a little bit off the water or just a little bit of running line off the water in front of that head, I can control that swing. But also what's cool is that the fish grabs and that rod's not down pointed at it, that direct transmission of that really soft winter, like grab or pluck, he doesn't feel you. As soon as he goes and grabs it the first time or wants to suck on it, chew the gum, I can lower the rod and just feed it right to him. 
Oh, and nice. I, and then if I have to, I'll just make a little mini step forward, let that fly turn, let the fish turn on it, and then let them tighten up. Because I'm not fishing a loop. I'm fishing right to the reel. So that's how I control me and control and not worrying about dropping the loop. Because when I drop a loop, you never know what's going to happen there. I'm waiting for that fish to turn. Well, I'm in control. I'm going to just feel that fish turn by higher rod, lower the rod, step into it. Then I feel that weight and then low rod pressure up towards the bank. Boom, bang, crash. Wow. That was cool. Yeah. So this is a different, I mean, yeah, you're, you're swinging it, but it's just a, like you said, it's a totally different type of swing. This is not your normal, you know, uh, summer, summertime swing where you just cast out there and you, you know, let it do its thing. You're, you're actually the whole time you're, you're on this thing. You're really working the fly. And how are you when you're, when it's going down, how are you knowing how to work that fly? You mentioned a couple of points, how you're turning your rod. Is that it? Or are you actually doing anything else on top of that? So um, I think the best tools that we have is, you know, your eyes, right? From the time we cast to the target, but I'm always watching that Skagit head because that Skagit head is nothing more than a, we'll just use a roughly a 19 foot long bobber. So mm -hmm. I'm watching that Skagit head, you know, because our rivers are fairly shallow and it, you, you might see it, you might see it tick bottom. You might see that the chase of the fly, you see that little bit of bow coming and you can just tell when you need to slow it down or when you speed it up. And then what I watch is that nice little swing coming through the run. I'm always counting the swing. How long does it take to get from bank to bank? And there's a specific time. If it's a 11, 17 seconds, whatever that swing is, that'll be the water that the fish are in for the day. You know, they're going to, they're going to be in that, that type of moving water. Like, okay, that's going to be that nice 1.7 mile an hour current. It's like, oh, that's what they're in. They might be in like super frog water where, like you said, I might have to literally throw a downstream mend to get that just to crawl along that tanky water. So this is going to be super interesting if we get some, if we get some students and get people involved that are, that are a little more used to the, like get the fly chasing to shoots river stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we'll be like, no, you got to slow it down. Or if I'm mm -hmm. on the dish shoots with you, like you are next week, you're going to be saying, hey, speed the thing up, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. Okay. This is cool. Yeah. No, I mean, this is, and I think, you know, gear wise, um, so, so that is a part of the, you know, some of the confusion is just lining out, but you mentioned the, um, you know, going back to the gear, we got scientific anglers, the spay light, um, rod wise, does everybody, you know, picking out a good rod, a 10 foot, a switch rod. I know we talked about that on the last episode, but for those that didn't listen there, what are they looking for in, in the rod? Are there just a bunch of different companies that have good switch style rods for this? You know, um, I'm with the Scott rod company. Um, I also use echo rods, but as you know, being a, a spade junkie, I pretty much have every brand. Yeah. Um, I think the most critical part of the rod would be the matching the line. Um, because there's, you know, every, you know, just, let's just take Meisner for, you know, and Carrie Berkheimer. Yep. They label their rods five, six, seven for a reason. Mm. There's a low end of grain weight and there's a high end of grain weight. If you're an aggressive caster, you're going to go on a lower grain weight because you're going to want to be able to cast off the tip. If you're a super slow, nice caster, you're going to bump up the grain weight a little bit that, you know, so you can feel it, slow it down. So there's a, there's, I think the line choice is going to be the critical part. Mm -hmm. Do I think a faster action rod has its applications for scandy casting? Absolutely. 
Do I think a moderate, nice Skagit type action, say like the Piraway, like Jerry French's, do I think mm-hmm. that suits it better? Like the old Loomis Dredgers, do I think that suits the Skagit casting better? Yes. But can you use them all? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you can use them all. And it's just, like you said, matching up the, the grain weight to the right line and that setup, which is the, what is the rule? Is it the the old, like, um, how do you how do you match it up? I guess it's all it's all there. You can track the manufacturers down. But if you get a new rod and it says it's set for a 300 grain, describe that a little bit, that process of getting the right line weight. Yep. So if you get the right grain weight, um, technically, if you could take your Skagit head and you cast it overhead and you can cast it fairly easily and control the loops, that means that the Skagit head's way too light. That's the object of So a Scandinavian line is meant to cast overhead just like you would be a single hand rod. Oh, right. So you should be able to take a Scandi and literally cast it overhand just like a normal rod and be good to go. Good to go. Because basically it's a touch and go cast. Now, if yeah. you want to bastardize a Scandi line and start graining it up, then you're going to get into the Scandoid. So I sort of like that scandoid theory. I sort of like to grain my Skagit lines between the Scandi and the Skagit. And roughly they're about 75 grains apart. Okay. And, and I grain them, you know, some people say 100, but I'm just going to say on record 75 grains between a Scandi grain and a Skagit grain. But I sort of like to grain it in between the two because then I can still muscle through the wind with a touch and go. I could still do some nice sustained waterborne fixed anchor cast with Skagit casting. And it doesn't feel like full on logging chain because I'm not fishing, you know, Pacific Northwest dredging big dumbbell eyes. So you're going to be pretty surprised that we're going to be using a lot of neutral buoyant non-weighted flies. And we're going to be using the sink tips to get us in the zone more than the fly where on the West coast, you're going to rely on a lot of dumbbell eyes. Yeah. Um, and we do do that in Michigan, but you'll, it's going to be a cool thing to watch you say that's, you know, how this is approached and how, oh, maybe this will work in other places too. Yeah, exactly. That's what I've been thinking the whole time is that that'll be the fun comparison. And I like that because, you know, putting on a big heavy fly is not always the funnest thing to do. You know, I'd rather, much rather put on, use the line and let, and put on a small fly and let the line do the thing. You know what I mean? It's like summer steelhead fishing with a tiny little speck of a steelhead fly. That's great. You know what I mean? So this is going to be good. All right. Um, and then say, and then you talk 75. So if, if the rod says, let's use an example, let's say one, and I actually had talked to, um, uh, we're going to have the Scott, uh, well, no, maybe you could give me a little history lesson here. Uh, the Jim, who's the Scott, um, founder of Scott fly rods. So Jim Barchi's at the controls. Yeah. So Jim Barchi is running the show right now. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Magnificent rod designer. Unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to have, I just chatted with him. I think we're going to get him on probably later this fall and, and talk about, you know, what they have going, but it, maybe we could grab an example. Would Scott be one you could just take to say, Hey, here's a rod. Here's the grain weight of a type of rod. And then we can say what line you would put it, get it set up for, for this trip. Yeah, absolutely. So my go-to rod is going to be an 11 foot five weight Scott rod, that rod. And so this is what I, when you say switch rod, right? I always think of, could I cast it one handed all day? Exactly. Right. And so this crossover between the switch and the two full two hander, you know, a lot of these shorter rods, they can get the job done but I can't cast it. So my rule of thumb is a switch rod to me is a rod that is under 350 grains 
So I can use it all day long and I could cast it one-handed or two-handed. And um, it'll deliver the sink tips that's needed in my area. So my normal routine is a 330 grain Skagit head, scientific angler, spay light on that 1105. And then from there, my sink tips will be always 10 foot. Um, I don't run 12 footers. I use a pretty good mathematical system. And I usually run three tips, you know, depending if you use the mouse system or depending if you use the SA system. Mm, I'm, right. The S, you know, the mouse system is a great system. But I will say when you introduce a float sync combination tip, I've been noticing that you still sort of have to incorporate that float part into the, the D loop, which does change your feel a little bit with the cast and the D loop. So I'm usually using that. My favorite tip, and you'll probably see a lot, plenty of tips for everybody to use, will be a sync to sync four. And if you want to just like do a mirror image, that duplicates the Mao float five, sync five, T11. Okay. That one way or another, I feel like 55 grains of sync tip, if you're using the T equation, gets the job done in my area for normal flows. Today's episode is sponsored by Rare Gear, not only making uh, telescoping fly rods, but rethinking the whole fly kit as you travel around. And uh, and their focus is building lighter, better equipment uh, and to keep you going strong. Their rod is a blend of traditional and Tenkara styles, and uh, and they got actually a new rod out. I just talked to uh, Derek. They've got a seven-foot rod right now. He's trying to hit some of that Spring Creek stuff. So I have not actually uh, handled this one, but if it's anything like um, his current rod, the one that I have been using, it is a nice, solid piece of work. Uh, definitely a unique rod. If you haven't checked it out, you know what we're talking about here. No guides on this thing. Um, the line is internal. The rod collapses down to the size that'll fit in your backpack, fit in your back of your pocket. It's got the reel, the line, everything's on there, but it telescopes out and is ready to fish uh, at a moment's notice. So this has been coming up uh, a few times now over uh, since we've been working with Derek here, and I'm excited to keep sharing this, and I, I want to get my hands on this new rod as well. Uh, he's also got some nets, some folding nets. He's got the wading booties. He's got the full package if you want to get out and do it. So you got to check out uh, Rare Gear right now and uh, and go check it out and support what Derek has going at Rare Gear. That's R-E-Y-R gear.com. Check them out right now. Okay, back to the show. And we're kind of, you know, like we do a lot of times here, with a limited time, we touch the surface on some of this. But I do want to touch a little bit on more of, of the trip that we're going to be doing here. So we're setting up this trip and... And we've got a couple of the rivers. Maybe we can talk about that. So where we're heading, describe the area a little bit. Maybe if you can talk about the rivers or, you know, whatever you want to, to give somebody a picture of like, if what is it that's never been there, what does this look like? What, what can we expect? Well, you know, it's as flat as a board. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, yep. So if you're coming from the Rockies or if you're coming from anywhere you see nice, to, you know, Hood River, you're not going to see snow-capped mountains. But what, you, what you're going to see is a geological change, though. So the Western river that we would be fishing is the Vermilion river and it runs through flat farmland. It's stocked with these migratory trout, um, right around 60,000 fish in that river. But then the terrain starts changing as you start migrating east towards the PA line, the gradient starts to get higher. And then the, and the stream gradient starts to get a little more intense. 
So generally, rule of thumb, once we get to the New York PA borderline, at that point, you know, your foothills of the Adirondacks, those, those streams, they clear extremely fast and quickly, and they're all spate rivers, but there's not as much farmland, and those rivers will clear three times faster. So wow. you'll, you'll notice a distinct. So when we're playing this game, it's like a musical shell game. You know, we'll be basically basing out of the Ohio PA border. Mm-hmm. And then that is like the base camp for striking because it's almost like Vancouver Island. You know, it's 350 mile long Island. And a lot of times we're driving North to South to catch the right water. Well, this right. is the same. This is the same thing. If we catch a weather event, we're going to go East farther to catch the water dropping because that's the secret is that that water dropping in, we're just going to like light them up. And then if we get a, a dry spell, we're going to start working our way back West and we're going to get into the rivers that clear later. So we're always looking for the window of say maybe 18 inches of visibility with some soul to it to keep our fly swinging. So we've got the Vermilion, we got the Rocky, we got the Chagrin, we've got the Grand, we've got the Ashtabula. And then, you know, the cool thing about, too, is if we want, we can jump the border. And PA are much smaller streams. They have a higher density, but they clear in about 17 hours. So we've got this advantage of like, you know, hey, holy crap, we can we can still get our flies wet. We don't have to worry about a blowout as much as we would be if we had one main river. Because I've, right. I've lived that for that days, <laughs> yeah. watching mud run by for a whole week of trip. Gosh, I know. So that's it. So, so we conditions wise, we don't, yeah, we don't want like muddy water. We don't want super clear, but I mean, on the Z, what is the perfect? So 18 inches of visibility, what is your perfect water color you're looking for? For me, I like it around 18 inches dropping into about two foot. So if I can just barely see my boots in knee deep water. Yeah. I'm super excited. Um, I will say when the water's cooler, you want a little more visibility because you know, you're, you're relying on those fish to see the fly. So if the water is warmer, I could say I would go as much as, you know, 14 inches, but 18 inches going into two foot, two and a half foot. And that happens within 24 hours. That's how fast they drop. Hmm. And then as soon as we lose that window on one river, we're going to pick up stakes and drop into the next river that drops in a little bit later. It's like a, it's like a stepping stone system that we're going to be doing. We're not going to be fishing the same river and, one day I might be driving an hour and a half to, to get the right river. The next day I might be driving 15 minutes to my home river. So, right. yep. So it's a, it's a cool way that we have to approach it. Yeah, that's great. All right. So, so we're going to be all over the place and, and the trip, I think we're, what we're setting up here is we're going to be, um, I think for the, what this school we're doing, I think is it remind me again, are we doing four days or five days? What's this look like? Um, you know, I think it's going to be four days, but the fifth day is going to be one of those days where we get a little fishing in before you catch your flight. So it, it all depends. We're super, super open. We want this to be super fun time because that's what fishing's about, right? Fun, camaraderie, yep. learning, and catching fish. Of course, that's my report card as a guy. Is yep. catch a bunch of fish, but <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna check the box for everybody's wish list. I think that's the key. Is once we get our everybody involved, the first thing I do is like, hey, Dave, what's your wish list? Yeah, I take your wish list and we make it happen by the end of the trip. Yeah. Well, that I can tell you what mine is, and this may be some, <laughs> some other people. Mine is, I mean, it's funny thing is I've done a lot of steelhead fishing, but I'm not still like an expert caster, right? I'm, I'm actually probably below the line. You know, I, I can do just enough. I can catch a lot of fish, 
but it's mostly because I got good equipment, all right? You know what I mean? But I need to work on my space. So I'd love to come away with this with like a game plan, like, okay, here's what I need to work on. Here's the stuff I needed to become actually really good spade caster, right? So that'd be one thing I'd want to work on. And then, of course, like we said, I want to catch some steelhead. That'd be awesome. And then just the experience of the trip, being at the cabin, hanging out with you, the guys, because we're giving away, we're kind of doing this as like a giveaway right now. We have a promo or a giveaway so somebody can win this trip with them and a friend. But we're also going to have six slots that people can actually pay for and just go to this trip if they want to. And so it'll be fun. And I'm not sure who that's going to be, but there'll probably be some people listening now that might be there. And, uh, and I'm excited about that. And, and so let's talk about that a little bit, where we're going to be going. Um, this necessarily isn't like a, um, a lodge style, but it's a, a kind of a house, kind of a cabin right on near a river. Yeah, it is. So um, it's, it's going to be on the Conneaut Creek, um, which is, like I said, right in the wheelhouse of one of the most premier steelhead. You want to call it Steelhead Alley. We should have named it Rainbow Alley. But yeah. it's, a, it's a really nice house. It's got great accommodations. We've got multiple bathrooms. You're going to have, you know, we're going to have our own, you're going to have rooms. And then we're going to, you're going to have a catered dinner and we're going to have box lunches. We're probably going to end up doing like, you know, the buffet style breakfast because we're going to be yep. like jamming out early in the morning. Yep. Um, it's got a nice fire pit in the back where we're going to have some nice adult drinks, talk steelhead. Um, and then one cool thing is it's got a great like room for hanging out. Hmm. You know, we got the leather the leather couches. We got a big fly tying table. Um, so we're just going to set up every evening after we eat dinner and shower up. We're just going to end up just chilling out, tying flies, getting our stuff ready for the next day, talking about lines like, hey, my line didn't work. Let's try this line, get that rigged up. So it's a it's a great like lodge setting in this one room. Hmm. Um, and of course, we got a living room, big screen TV. So it's um it's the next closest thing to a lodge. Um, and then we also have access to private water too there too, which is cool. So nice. yeah. So, and that's all within walking distance of the house. Oh, wow. So within walking distance, we're right there. We could, there, there might be days where we literally just walk to go fishing. That could be part of it. Absolutely. What is the, uh, so Steelhead Alley, and, and we've talked a little bit about this in the past, but give us a little history lesson. Like the Steelhead Alley, it's such a famous name. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> out there it is. It's become, it's the place. Like, what would you know the history there? How did it become Steelhead Alley? Well, you know, so as they started stocking all the, you know, as they started stocking all the rainbows that come in and that, and this has been going on since the 70s, right? Early 70s. Yeah. Um, and then they started calling them Steelhead, which is, I don't agree with that. But we, yeah. call them, we call them steelhead, but uh, they're not true steelhead. But we call them steelhead here. Everybody does. So I'm just going to live with it. But um, And then that then eventually that just stuck because Michigan Anners, they called them steelhead up there to begin with. And then eventually that just stuck. Starting in and around the mid-70s, late-70s, that just stuck. Yeah. And to be, let's, uh, I guess, clarify a little bit. So they were from stock of steelhead, right? Originally, they were West Coast steelhead stock. They weren't like a, a rainbow stock. They were steelhead stock that brought out, and now they're migrating to the lake. That's an interesting. So they are Ohio's, where we'd be fishing, were originally rainbows. Oh, really? Yes. And then we eventually um, moved on to the little the, Man, the little Manistee Strait in Michigan, which were wild fish to begin with. So the fish that we're fishing for are going to be weird wild steelhead out of little Manistee Weir. So these fish are 100% wild. Oh, right. So they're wild. So these were not stocked fish at all. They came from, well, they came from another source. Correct. They came from the West Coast. And basically they started, you know, they started migrating up the Little Majesty River. Then they wear them. And so Ohio gets the eyed eggs from there. 
And then the cool thing is that because of COVID, we ended up getting a little glitch in the system. And now we had to rely on some Wisconsin fish, which were the Madagascar strain wild, and then also a couple of the other strains. So we got this little potpourri of fish. And I will say one thing that the Wisconsin fish, these last year, couple of years that the Ohio had to resort to those stocking, they are super grabby. So, and I think that's just, the, they might be a little more domesticated compared to the wild ones, but they are super grabby, um, which is cool. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's what we want. <laughs> so they're gra- and, and, and just to clarify, so these originally, they were from uh, steelhead stock from the West Coast that were just, they were playing, but there's some of these areas, like you said, where they're not stocking anymore. They're just like, they be, they're wild fish that are coming on their own. Nobody's doing any stocking. And like some of the rivers we're going to be fish are going to be actually wild fish, technically wild steelhead. Um, Michigan has a lot and the closest true wild strain we have self-sustaining is on the Cataraugus, which we, we might, we could actually try it if the river comes yeah. down. So the Cataraugus Creek has a, a, a tributary called Clear Creek. And there is a wild sustained population that has sustained itself in this Clear Creek, which is a tributary of the Cataraugus. Um, Ohio, there are fish that are doing it. It's just undocumented, Dave. Yeah. Just because of runoff. Now, Michigan, Canada, that runs in the lake here in the North Shores, up on the Grand River, which is like straight across from us, they have a, a sustainable wild steelhead that runs up and goes up a tributary that are wild. So there are self-sustaining populations of these trout that are taking a hold. And I'm, and I'm going to go on record that are, in a, and it's just going to be underestimated, but it's 30% or more in the Great Lakes now. Wow. 30% or more. Yeah. So that's it. So you guys got this cool, I mean, it is a cool, it's an amazing thing, really. It just yes. shows you the, shows you the resiliency and uh, how amazing these fish are. And, but you would probably call you more of a, it, you know, steelhead migratory rainbow, right? It's, that's yeah. like the thing. And, and the funny thing is, is that it's the same species, right? So whether you call it a migratory rainbow or steelhead, it's still, <laughs> it's still micus. It's still omicus, right? I know that I love to swung a, swing a fly and this is what's available to me, regardless if it's a trout or a, a true steelhead or what I have, it's still just great fun, man. Yeah. It gives, gives everybody an opportunity to just explore the great fishery that we have. Yeah, that's cool. And are people now over there doing any, um, you know, you mentioned the dry fight earlier. Is that something where there's, that's a possibility at all in any sort of any time of the year, getting these guys on the surface? Absolutely. When I fish, usually any time when the water's like, I would say above 48, 45 degrees, but above 48 degrees, I'm usually going in head first if I'm fun fishing after a trip. It happens a, a really, really a lot in October and early November. And then as the water starts dropping in with these cold nights um, in that Thanksgiving period time or maybe third week of November, then I don't try. And then again, um, as we approach that end of March, early April, the water starts spiking up, then I'm on it, I'm on it like crazy. So there's a absolute time like you could try this and uh you could do the hopper dropper so we'll do you know so we'll do like a we'll do a big caddis with a little nymph dropper um i usually use foam just where i don't have to make some false casts um that just makes it super easy you know if you wanted to if you wanted to put on a black pom-pom go for it all the time so yeah yeah but foam keeps you high and dry and you have to worry about yeah all right and 
So we're going to be coming there again. I'm just thinking for somebody who maybe is trying to plan this, what else should we be thinking about to get ready? If they're coming there, if we're doing this thing early December, you know, what else would you tell somebody that's coming on this trip? Anything else to prepare for or do before this? Not really. I mean, you dress in layers, of course. If you have a pair of boot foot waders rather than stocking foot, that's going to keep you way warmer. There's no doubt. If you've got boot foot breathables, you're going to be way warmer than stocking foot. It's all about no kidding. It's just about circulation. Right. You know? So if you got a pair of boot foots, that would be super cool. If you don't, no big deal. And um, other than that, I would say you got to always keep an open mind to the fishery that, that you're looking at. That's the, the key. When I get into a fishery, I use local intel, keep an open mind. And then if I can take one good thing when I go someplace and then apply that to my waters, I think it's a successful trip. Usually, mm-hmm. Same when I take yeah. a casting lesson. I take tons of casting lessons. I give them and I take them. And that's my goal is to take home a couple good bullet points. Yeah. Wow. That's perfect. So, so yeah, apply. So come there knowing we're going to be doing a little bit of research beforehand, knowing what we're thinking, but it might, things might change and not be quite what we expect and be flexible, right. To adjust as I'm, so we're on the water. We've got our gear. We're going to have the right gear. Flies wide. Describe that a little bit on the flies. What, what sort of flies are we going to be using here? What we'll, uh, fill out our box. Yeah, absolutely. So you're going to be using your traditional leech patterns, but most of the time you can almost think of it as like um, an egg sucking leech on steroids. So what we use is we use a lot of really large ice dub heads to allow that fly to push against the water. But because I'm chasing that window of the gritty water, when you have that contrast of the big bright head to the darker silhouette of the body, it's almost like swinging, you know, swinging an egg, but it's not. It's that contrast between the dark body, bright head, just like I say, your, you know, your, your standard chartreuse purple, you know, egg sucking leech, you know, fly on the Deschutes. Yeah. We'll do it. We're doing the same thing, but we're going to make it easier to cast for you because I'm not going to use dumbbell eyes. And then because we're using that buoyant fly or neutral buoyant fly, I'm going to be making you shorten up your leaders from the sink tip to the point where you like, I don't think this is going to work. Right. So I'm going to jam that fly right against the tip because I don't want that fly wandering around in this cold, dirty water. I want it to be right, right in their face. So, so how close, what does that, what does that leader look like? I'm going to go 14 inches. Yeah. 14 <laughs> inches. That's right. That's right. So it's right there. I remember you said that before we were on the, on 255, we talked, it was like, what, wait a minute, 14 inches. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. And then, and, and it's, you wouldn't think it now, do I do 18 inches, two foot? Sure. Yeah. But, um, so let's just do this whole thing of the controlled fly, right? Yeah. So I'm going to give you, Dave, a controlled fly all day. And that's going to be my top three flies. But the other angler with you is going to be the guinea pig. He's going to be the crash test dummy. And I'm going to keep feeding them some different flies, changing tips. And I'm going to have them. And then I can rotate you out of the box. But generally, the lead angler is going to go in with my number one, you're my number one hitter because gotcha. I want you to catch the fish. Right. So you're, you're going to give me whatever worked the, the day before or whatever, you know, was working. I'm going to get that. <laughs> yep. The other person will get, be experimenting if, if it's slow for me and then, and then I'll maybe hook a fish land when then we'll switch it up. 
Yep. Then you're going to go to the back of the bus all day. Perfect. Nice. That's, like, that's great. That's great. <laughs> nice. But we don't have any ghillie huts for you to sit in. You're going to have to tough it out. <laughs> all right. This is perfect. All right. So for, so 14 inches. And and so why the short? So why, I mean, closer. So that just gives you more control to know exactly what, so you're able to control it better. It's a technical swing thing. So if I had a broad area to be able to like land that fly in a big zone, and keep it working it's not you're going to be hucking across the river a lot of times you'll might be in two foot of water and then 15 foot into your swing it drops off this shale ledge which is two foot so then as soon as it drops off the ledge you want that fly to just follow right down with the tip and you almost sometimes what i'll do is we're going to actually step the fly in off the lip so does the fly drops off this drop off just like a bar off the Deschutes, because the water's cold, we're going to step into it, lower the rod, drop it into the bucket, and then we're going to walk it through the we're going to walk it through the zone, and then all of a sudden it's going to come up on our side, which is more of a, it's not a lip, it's a more of a gradual, mm-hmm. and then we're going to just let that thing hang right down on the hang down and marinate it there. And if we had a weighted if we had a weighted fly, it would tank, and the fish would be like, no way. Right. Our tip is going to our tip is going to tank. We're going to pick the rod tip up. That fly is going to keep moving because it's non weighted. And then we're going to get, the, we're going to probably get a lot of grabs on the hang down. Oh, wow. So you do on the hang down, you get quite a few grabs. Yeah. When the water gets below 36, things could get a little, a little more towards the hang down. No kidding. So Pete, and so that fly, yeah. And it's just sitting there. And when, when it's on the hang down, are you just kind of just hanging it down, doing nothing, just letting it sit there? Um, we have a couple ways, you know, when we talk about the rod pulling back and forth, I like to, I usually strip the fly in about 18 inches real slow. And then I'll just let it fall right back on their face. And then that opens and closes the material and keeps that fly moving. And then I raise the rod up about to about a, not quite eye level to right around my nipple or chest high. I lower it down one time, let it hang for say maybe four seconds or five. And if I don't get a grab, then I'm out. Then I'm going to go back to my next cast. I just want to make sure that there's no players that are followed it yeah. and are just hanging down there sulking. Right. How many, what percentage, if you had just take a random guess of fish on the swing versus the hang down, what, what would it be? So the percentage is going to be over 40% when the water's like dirty, gritty. Like, so if it's 14 inches, I got to give them time to like get back on it. Because the water's cold, it's gritty. They're coming in on the, They're coming in on it. They can't get it because it's cold. They lose it in the dirty water. So I got to give them time. If the water's say three, three foot visibility, they're gonna probably get it on right on that hook just before yeah. it straightens out. They're probably gonna get it on that classic straighten out, which is yeah. probably gonna be the sixty percent. That's it, sixty percent. Wow, this is cool. And, and like you said, so again, the short 14-inch leader gives you a chance to, when it's dropping, your, your fly's not out there just swinging around everywhere with the current doing weird stuff. You're on it. It's whatever you your tip is doing, your fly's doing the same thing. And you can feel it, and you can kind of feel that you're making it happen. Absolutely, man. You're just, you're in control of the fly. Yeah, that's great. Nice. Well, let's see. I guess I wanted to also kind of just touch base a little bit, um, you know, back on the day. So going back to the trip. So we come in, I think on this one, we're going to be coming in Sunday. 
Uh, I think we're going to fly in or, you know, well, let, let's just go back. Let's just take this broad thing. Cause this is a, this is for me, this is like a destination. <laughs> Anybody that comes on, this is going to be a major thing. So, so we, where are we fly into? Where, where's the, where's that? What's that look like? You're going to fly into some places really hard to get into Cleveland, Ohio. There we go. Awesome. Awesome. I love the, uh, the are the Cavaliers still any good? Do you, are the sport, they don't have LeBron anymore, right? So they're not, no, uh, no, that was a while no, ago. No, he left, he left us and got the championship over yeah, in Los right. Angeles. Oh my that's God. Right. Did Cleveland ever get a championship? Only with him. Yeah, they got one though. They did. He gave oh, one. Oh yeah. Yeah. He gave, yeah, he got, he got one. So, so yeah, Cleveland, Ohio. Amazing. That's what it's great about. So we'll fly into Cleveland, Ohio. And then yep. what? We just roll out, grab a car. Just uh, how far is it from there out to the to the place? Yep, you won't even need to grab a car. So between between the guides and myself and whoever we got helping out, we, depending on whenever you get in, we'll have we're going to have a guide or somebody pick you up. It's going to be roughly about an hour drive out to the lodge, and on the way out, it's just not going to be like a, t- a standard bus ride. We're going to go out, cross the rivers chill out, chit chat about the fishery, maybe boondog down into a couple rivers, show you what they're like. Oh, nice. Then we're all going to like get ourselves located on the house, get our stuff all unpacked. If you need to shower up, shower up. And then that first evening, it's going to be a nice little, I'm going to go through a nice PowerPoint. We're going to go through what's expected, what the rivers are looking like, and just sort of give you a little outline of like what we're doing and where we're going. Um, And then, the next morning it's, you know, get our gear ready that Sunday night. And then it's, it's game on. You're going to get, um, we're going to rotate out from like a full on fishing to we're, we're going to concentrate on casting in the morning and then fishing in the afternoon. And then, you know, we're not going to be like, we're just going to slop you out there. So each day we're going to rotate through, we're going to have four guides. So you're going to have a uh, two man per each guide. Um, and then we're going to choose the water that mother nature's, like we talked about, that's going to allow us to do it. And every day we're going to rotate through. And if somebody says, Hey, Jeff, I really want to work on more casting. We're going to like accommodate that. Um, not, we can also accommodate casting with fishing, but Dave, I'm going to go on record to be a good caster. You can't fish and cast. You've got to like say, I'm going to work on casting and not worrying about catching a fish. Right. Even if it's only two hours in the morning, it's amazing how you advance from that. And then every evening we'll have a program either. It's going to be like, what do we want to tie tonight? We're going to tie some flies. What we're going to work on a little bit of like, hey, let's go through some sink tips and some fly selections. You're going to be able to you know, tie some flies on your own and take those flies back home and chart them on your own home waters. Um, if you want to work on some trout flies, we can do whatever you want. So it's just going to be one of those every evening, super chilled out. If you want to crash out early, crash out early. Yeah. You know, but usually 1 a.m. we're going to pull the plug. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we got fishing for the next morning. <laughs> yeah. So so if you're coming out here to fish, is it, can you get out there this time of year, like first thing, daylight? Can you get out there or is it good to really let things warm up a little bit? You know, we're going to get out. We're going to get out and get on that unmolested water. You know, I hate to say it, you know, on that swung fly presentation, even though it's super cold, we might get a few plucks, but I want to know, like, like when we work through the runs, if I get a few plucks, it's sort of like a musky routine. I'm going to come back and like revisit those fish at the end of the day. It's like, okay, you didn't grab now. We didn't get a hook in you, but we're going to circle back when the water warms up and I'm going to like 
come back at you. Um, because the comeback fly really doesn't work here. It's a water temperature thing. You know, we don't go like, you know, oh, we're going to come back with a smaller fly. We're going to come back when the water warms up a little bit and uh, try something different. Gotcha. Okay. So you, so you get your chance. And when you're working down with the two guys, is it going to be, you know, one guy here, just kind of both of us working down through the run together sort of thing? Or how's that look? Um, it usually does. Sometimes the runs are small enough um, when the water's a little lower that I can actually spread them apart. Like, hey, you take this run, you take that run. And then what I will do, though, is rotate you out, though. So Dave gets a chance to fish by the wood and lose a bunch of flies. (laughs) 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 And then, you know, okay, then you're going to go ahead and fish this nice tail out. Yeah. And I always try to put the angler who hasn't connected in the best sweet spot, the driver's seat, right? Yeah, exactly. That's just the way it works. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Nice. Wow. Well, what uh, I'm just kind of thinking here, I feel like I got a pretty good uh, feel for this. And the kind of the, the school piece is going to be, obviously, you're going to have like a presentation on the first day. And after that, are we going to do a little more uh, presentation or is it going to be more evenings where we're just going to be digging into more whatever questions anybody has and covering it like that? You know, I think this is what's so cool about these on water classes is that every guide is going to give you what you're looking for in the class. So like you're looking for casting. Yeah. Let let's just say somebody comes up to me, and that's the ideal of of you and myself being hosts. Every evening we go to each individual and say, "What can we help you with?" And that next day, we check the box. If somebody says, "Jeff, I really don't know where my fly is. I'd love to learn how to do that." My goal is to say, "Hey, this is John's. What he wants to work on today." And tell the guide, make it happen all day long. Hey, John, you need to hold your rod up. You need to mend it here. And by the end of the guided day, along with catching fish, John has that dialed in. That, and we direct these guides and myself, we direct them in the direction that is needed individually. That's what's so cool. That is cool. Yeah, no, that's... I think of it, you know, there's a lot of ways, you know, I mean, obviously this is a, like a cool um, mix of hybrid, right? Because this is a guide trip, but the cool thing is it's not just you. We've got multiple guides here yeah. Um, and it's a group, right? So it's kind of, I don't even know what you call this. I mean, I, I like what we call it, which is the Great Lakes Steelhead School. I mean, that's what it is, but it's, I don't know. I and mean, when you think about what we're doing here, um, it's, I don't know, it seems pretty cool to me. Like we got you, which you're obviously leading out here in w- what you do. Um, but just compared to a normal guide trip, it's a little bit different than that, right? Or is it pretty similar? What do you think? I think it's way different because, because a normal guide trip, a guide's responsibility is to catch us a silly fish, right? And right. They're, they're, they're focused all day long on that, where if you, if you improve your skills, the fish will come, right? And what I've noticed is that what's going to happen to us is that we could have an angler that's at square A in spay and casting and, and swung fly, and we're going to grow your skill set. We could also have an angler that's going to get involved with this whole school at Z, right? And I will guarantee him one day with myself or any of the other guides, he will definitely learn something for sure. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, I, I am that's amazing. By far, all my mentors wait, learn way, are way more advanced than I am. The West Coast boys, mm-hmm. East Coast boys, but I've I've cultivated all their knowledge and then put my twist to it. So I think there'll be a lot, a lot taken away from this. 
Wow, I love that. No, that that definitely hits home, and that's what it is. It's like it's yeah, it's not just a guide trip. You're not out there like, okay, we're gonna get you into fish. It's you know, it's more like yeah, we're going in deeper in each night, having four nights because we'll have Sunday, then we'll have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday will be the day where we're heading out. Maybe somebody will fish a little bit, but that's a full, you know, that's like almost a week trip where we're like, you know, every day we're like you said, working on something, coming back at the end, and this is amazing. And no tents either. Yeah, no tents. Exactly. Yeah, we actually have some some heat, and, uh, and this is good. Nice. Well, I'm excited, Jeff. I think um, you know. I mean, obviously, there's a ton we could talk about. I think we're we'll, gonna we'll leave it here for now, and we actually got a full episode out of this. So, um, I think this is gonna be great. We got the giveaway going right now, and we're gonna let this just keep rolling along, and we'll announce the winner of the giveaway when that's over. But you know, if anybody wants to get on in this trip, they can check in. Um, you know, check in with, with me, probably we'll have a link set up in the show notes where people can check in there. Um, I want to take us out with a random one. I've got a new one I'm doing here. This is kind of a fun question, but, uh, so we're doing this thing. We haven't done it yet, but I've been thinking about, I, I want to get your opinion because I, I, I had one person, I, I asked the opinion. So I'm thinking about doing it. I'm not even sure if I'll do this, but, uh, so fly fishing trading cards, and this is like totally bizarro world, but like baseball cards, right? So each person, each guest Jeff Liskey has now a trading card, his fly fishing trading card. It's, you know, from the Wet Fly Swing podcast. So on that trading card, on that trading card, you could only say one thing, one headliner for you. What is it going to be? It doesn't have to be for this show, but just kind of your, your fly fishing. What would you put there? If you had to say, you know, Jeff Liskey episode, you know, 356, what would be a one-liner? Anything come to your mind? Oh, my goodness. Um and, and that's totally putting you on the spot. I know big yeah, time. So yeah, yeah, no, you know, on my trading card, I would think fish more, pose less, just like idle wildflower flies. Oh yeah, fish more, pose less, and just get on the water, man. Love that. Yeah, I love that. That's perfect. That is perfect. Yeah, because it's uh, and that goes to a lot of different things. The the poser, you know, the poser, the posing less. But yeah, I mean, just even like keep them wet, right? All that stuff. I mean, it's just it's all right. The more it's like. It's not the grin, you know, even we've talked to that. That's come up a number of times in the show, you know, like mid current was on and he mentioned that how, you know, they've been not taking fish photos for a long time, right. Without, you know, out of the water stuff. And I think Orvis is doing that. I think, do you feel that like everybody's just, it's like, that's the way, that's the way we should all be doing this. You know, Dave, I'm going to be say guilty that I have damaged more fish and killed more fish than probably anybody on planet earth. But I am trying as an individual to better my skill set of releasing fish and holding fish. But the main thing is, is to teaching other anglers that are with me to understand this whole trend, because these are valuable resources, right? Mm -hmm. And are we going to screw up? Are we going to hurt fish? Yeah, we are. We're putting yeah. hooks, we're putting hooks in fish's mouth, right? Right. But the bottom line is, is that every time we go out, we practice better practices. And hopefully we make an impact overall in the whole in the whole fishery system no matter what we fish for even a bluegill right yeah exactly yeah it doesn't matter what species it is uh yeah. one, one more just just came up there i was thinking so when we land these fish are we going to be using nets or what's that look like you know we do we use a rubber net we keep it in the rubber net in the water we release the fish in the net then we go through the process of like okay this and, and then what i a lot of times if somebody hasn't handled the fish a lot i will go in the net display how you want to go into the net gradual and how to hold the fish. And I, and I'll gracefully just pick it up out of the net a little bit under the net, put it back in 
display it if and then uh, they say oh because a lot of times anglers go into this net like you know yeti and the officials are like aware of your your vibe right 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 so then what i do is i will get the angler in position we hold the net right in front of them they go under the net they get the fish out they do a practice lift and drop they say i then i ask do you have it they say i got this game they pick it up really gradually I jerk the fish, the net out from underneath him while somebody else takes the picture. Mm. And then, then they're ready. Then as soon as they get the photo, you lower it right back under the water and let it go. So yeah. out of the water, we're looking at probably maximum 10 seconds max. So it's a pretty, pretty easy thing to do now. Yeah. You know, we're not dragging the fish up on the bank. So it'll be a cool thing too. talk about fish handling too. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say that's another. It's a great kind of education. I mean, that's what this is gonna be. It's gonna be a cool, a cool event. So I hope that today, I think we have, I think we provided get some good tips for maybe people <laughs> that that don't want, that aren't gonna be able to make the trip. But for those that are, I think we probably got some people excited about this. And uh, yeah, man, this is gonna be good. So thanks, Jeff, again for another good um, episode here. And uh, yeah, until we uh, get going on the next one, uh, we'll talk to you then. As always, Dave, it's a pleasure. Way cool, man. Thanks. So there it is wetflyswing.com slash 362. Reminder, we are launching a big giveaway. We talked a little about it in the school, in the episode today, the Steelhead School, and uh, you can get that link in the show notes. Grab everything else we talked about today, including some of those lines and other tips that we covered. A quick listener shout out before we get out of here. Steve Goodchild from the UK. Steve uh, sent an email out to me and noted the JP Ross episode and uh, talked about some of his other mentors, uh, including Davey McPhail. It was really cool to hear from Steve. Steve, thanks for supporting the podcast and for reaching out and giving giving us a heads up that you're out there listening. Always good to see uh, folks from across the pond. And, and I'm hoping to get Davey McPhail on the podcast eventually, uh, if we can. We'll be, we'll be working that. But uh, if you're listening now and you'd love to uh, get a shout out here, connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Dave at wetflyswing.com is the easiest way uh, to get uh, you on the show, give you a shout out here, and I'd love to hear what you're doing. If you haven't checked in with me yet, um, it is what keeps me going, and I love hearing from people that are around the world listening to the episode. So, and if you're outside of the U.S., I would especially like to hear from you. I'm not sure which country you're in right now, but we're in, uh, as last time I checked, I think 83 countries. Uh, so, if you're in one of those 83 countries that that's not the U.S. Um, and maybe not Canada. Uh, give me a shout out and of course you can give me a shout out if you're in the u.s or canada but especially for this one the, the call out is is outside of those countries and i'd lo- just love to hear from you and uh and a quick heads up okay we're gonna bust out of here and get to the next one uh we got a couple of uh great episodes coming up uh this week so i'm gonna get those all set up for you and uh and yeah i hope you're able to connect with me i would love i would love to see you on the river if we can this steelhead fishing trip is going to be really cool. We got a good cabin. We got good food. We got it. We got it all going on this one. So um, I really like to see you on that. And if I can't, check in with me online would be awesome. Would be awesome either way, online or on this trip. And I am going to let you get out of here. And I hope, I hope that right now you are having a good morning, a good afternoon, or good evening wherever you are in the world. And may the swing be with you. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.